Welcome to another episode of Conf Tea with URSE. I am your host, Brian Young, and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Tom Porto. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? Good, thank you. I see you're still building a snowman in the background. You're still in the, the your daughter's uh, playroom there? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And I just found out last week that my carpet won't be here for another week, so probably nice. maybe one more episode will be from this room. <laughs> nice. We're, we're looking forward to getting into the new room. And if you need a handyman, we have the one and only Cisco Sal, also known as uh, just Sal the Builder. You know, I mean, this Sal this guy, if you haven't seen his YouTube channel, man, he, he'll wear a hard hat and, and review anything under the sun. If it's got a, if it's got a printed circuit board and he'll review it. Mr. Sal Lamura, how are you, sir? Doing well. How you doing, Brian? I'm good. I hear you're going to be uh, installing a smart fan pretty soon. Maybe I'll document. I'll share it with you guys so you can see it. <laughs> Just came in the mail. It's Sunday. There we go. Oh, man. I, I still love the episode of your wife driving around with that tractor in the background. That thing is that that is the best demo of Babel Labs I've ever seen. And joining us for the first time ever on Conf T with USC is our friend Patrick Canane. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing Thanks good. for having me on, by the way. First time around. Hey, you know what? It's It's been a long time coming. I know you and I chatted a while ago. Uh, Patrick has his own YouTube channel. We'll be sure to include the uh, the link in the show notes for you to check it out. But it is all about... Uh, actually, why don't you describe it? It's all about Cisco certs, but I'll let you I'll let you take a minute. Yeah, I do a lot with Cisco certs, specifically in the collaboration side of things. But I, I do... A, um, I have a lot that I want to do on there, like more Linux stuff, a little more... Um, some Python stuff in there, but you know, with starting the new role that I'm in now, I have to do a lot more ramping up learning cloud collaboration, which is good because um, eventually I'll start putting more cloud collab stuff onto the channel as well. Very cool. Very cool. And you'll be uh, happy to know we, uh, Tom and I have been on the discord server, which again, we'll put the links in the show notes for people who want to join. Um, we were, we brought up the, the show that we're doing now, mentioned your name and there were a couple people were like, Hey, you know, Pat, like, I know Pat is oh, a sweet. good guy. That's pretty so, cool, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. It, it definitely gets around where it gets around. So yes, <clears throat> awesome. So we have this elaborate panel of uh, fine gentlemen here to talk about the Cisco live event that happened last week. Um, and just kind of go over some of the announcements, some of the, the takeaways that, that we had, um, and just kind of give you guys a recap because it was a two-day event. There was a lot of breakout sessions. And, of course, if you didn't have the all-access pass, there would a, a lot of content that you weren't able to get to. We obviously won't be able to cover a two-day event that big in such a short um, episode here. But wanted to cover on some of the highlights that we came across and, of course, recommend that uh, you go and check out the recordings. Pat, did you have a session as well? I have a meet the author session coming up on the 8th where we'll talk about the uh, advanced call control and mobility official cert guide that we put out there. So it'll be myself and Gonzalo and Paul and Kaiser, the other co-authors that were on there. Okay. And so I think at, last time we looked, we had like 132 people signed up to attend it. Nice. And that was maybe a week ago that we looked. So that's a live event you're going to be doing on the 8th. And then that'll be Correct. available for public consumption. And I think they do everything three months after the live event, right? I'm not too sure about that part of it. Okay. Well, we'll see. Yeah. If if you can join the uh, the live event on the 8th, which will be the, a day after this is published, then great. Uh, if not, just uh, search for Patrick Kinane on uh, YouTube and, uh, and the CiscoLive.com and see if they end up posting it there. 
All right. So uh, one of the first things I want to talk about is one of the few you know new real hardware announcements that were made at Cisco Live around the Catalyst 9300X. Um, this is a, a, a new switch, a new to the 9300 line. Pretty impressive in terms of specs. Uh, and it definitely fits that that kind of use case where uh, you're doing kind of distributed networking, right? It, it's kind of in that distribution layer, just getting those 40 or 100 gig uh, downlinks and and dispersing them out to, I think it was uh, up to 25 gigs per, per downlink on those switches, right? Yeah, it's got two, either 12 ports or 24 ports, and all of those ports can either do 1 gig, 10 gig, or 25 gig on them. Nice. And I th- what was the fabric, the, the, the stacking speed on that? Was that one terabit? So it depends on how you stack them. So if it's going to be 9300Xs together, they'll stack. You can stack up to eight of them, just like the regular ones, and that will be a one terabit backplane on them. The caveat is if you take it and you stack it with a regular 9300, the backplane defaults down to the 480 gig backplane on that. So yes, you can mix right, and match them, makes but sense. it's just going to be the lower backplane speed. Okay. Well, that that's cool that you can mix and match them. I didn't even think about that, but that would that would be really cool if you've got a stack of uh, of ninety three hundreds rather than using the uplinks on those. You can put in distribution, redistribute it, have a couple more inputs and uh, or a couple more high high end outputs, right? Depending on how you're you're setting up. Um, but pretty cool stuff there. We'll be sure to include a link there. Uh, I don't know, Pat, if, or Pat or Tom, if you guys had anything you wanted to add on the the new ninety three hundred there. I don't. I, the only thing I thought was pretty cool you mentioned though is that you can stack them with other models. That's that's actually that's huge. That's nice. Yeah, yeah that's really huge. Yeah, yeah, that's a big it, deal. it was kind of big too because this was finally the replacement of the thirty eight fifty XS switches. I don't know if you guys remember those. And when we mm-hmm. moved over to the Catalyst nine thousand series switches, we kind of said, okay, are we bringing these over because we had the Catalyst ninety five hundreds and ninety five hundreds were basically like our fiber aggregation switch. But I think where Cisco realized, hey, you know, we kind of still need that switch is because a lot of customers liked having a single stack in like a distribution area where they had up uplink right. switches in there and they also had downlink downlink switches to their end users in the same stack. It made a lot of sense, share the same backplane and everything. Um, and you know, so I think because we had it in the thirty eight fifties and we were kind of missing that in the ninety three hundreds, they finally came out with those and uh, you know they upgraded them quite a bit because the old ones, the thirty eight fifties, were only doing like one gig and ten gig. Now we can go all the way up to twenty five gig, and obviously the backplane increase was was significant too. Yeah, that, I mean that that back that backplane is huge, but the the backwards compatibility and just kind of auto negotiating down to the rate that the uh, the other Catalyst 9300s can handle is, is pretty cool. This actually goes well with the Catalyst micro switches that were announced a couple months ago, right? Uh, I mean, granted, you probably wouldn't use a 25 gig downlink to power one of these things, but if you're talking about, you know, all those, the fiber runs, right, from from one switch to, or what do they call it, fi- fiber to desk, I believe they, they refer to it as. Yeah. Um, you know, th- this is a, a, a great opportunity because you're actually going to get a lot of fiber downlink ports, which, as you said, when they brought in the 9300 line, they didn't really have anything that would give you a lot of fiber downlinks. Now, this is, uh, as far as performance and, and whatnot, a bit of an upgrade, right? So you may not want to use it on you know these micros. It might be too much uh, power there. But, you know, mixing and matching a couple of these micros with, you know, using this as a distribution layer, not a bad, not a bad setup. <clears throat> I think also with these newer switches, you can uh, integrate them with Thousand Eyes, right? You can use Thousand Eyes with it, right? 
Yeah, that'd be a, a great segue to the to the Thousand Eyes piece. Uh, there was definitely some a, a lot of talk around the Thousand Eyes integration. Uh, Sal, Sal or Tom, I'll let you, Tom, you want to jump in? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, one of the big announcements was that, you know, Thousand Eyes, which we acquired, what was that, a year ago? Right? Something like that. Think more so. than that, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, we we uh, been ramping that up to get that in, you know, almost every aspect of our portfolio as we can. And this was a big announcement in that um, for DNA Advantage and Premier licenses, a Thousand Eyes agent will be available um, on the nine K switches. Um, so, you know, being able to see that that complete network visibility that that runs into your network and then beyond, uh, you know, I think is going to be really important for customers, especially uh, you know, given the current landscape of remote work and and all the SaaS, you know, the software as a service offerings, three sixty five, Salesforce, <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. Having that visibility and and you know, keeping your network as resilient and uh, you know, flowing freely as possible is is, is going to be important. Um, as well as the, the 9K announcement with Thousand Eyes, they also did, uh, as part of the AppD dashboard, uh, Thousand Eyes will also be integrated into that. So you can, you know, really have like a common conversation between your software teams, your network teams, uh, you know, all being able to see the same metrics, uh, you know, to, to really make sure your application is running at its finest, whether it's at the application layer or the network layer. Um, so those were, those right. were some, some definitely some big announcements there. Yeah, and, and and that's huge. And we we did do an episode covering Thousand Eyes. I think right around the time we made the acquisition, or at least made the announcement about it. Um, and at the time, the only person I was able to get was just someone that, in his previous role, happened to use Thousand Eyes. It could at least talk to us about what it did and kind of kind of how it worked. Right. Um, I actually recently saw a demo of the the Thousand Eyes platform and really went deep into how it works and adding agents and. <clears throat> making and even recording your own script. So this was this was awesome to me. So one of the things they were talking about was, hey, if you want to be able to, to run these kind of checks to make sure that your website is doing what it's supposed to do, you can write these scripts where it'll basically, you know, open this page, click here, wait, click here, wait, and it'll time all that thing, all, all those different pieces, which of course, like, okay, writing scripts, that's cool and all, but there's actually a record button that you just hit the record button, it launches a browser, you go to the website you want, you click, 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 it records all of it, puts it into code, and then you can just run that. You can run that at whatever level you want, whenever you want. And that actually, rather than just doing pings or looking for those HTTP 200 responses, this actually goes through workflow, which is what Thousand Eyes, uh, you know, coupled up with AppD, right, really give you. AppD looking at the applications that exist in your data center, thousand eyes looking at everything else you really don't have control over um but then of course integrating with the catalyst uh the catalyst series that's that's huge right just gives you that full end-to-end networking visibility so that when the applicant when the application guys come to it trying to blame the network you can say go ahead blame the network it's not me (laughs) (laughs) that sounds pretty powerful yeah no, it's it's huge stuff. I definitely want to get um, that person on for a future episode, and we'll be sure to do that because it is some powerful stuff. So I don't know if you had anything to add to that. No, I think it's just it's just kind of cool. And you know, if you guys think back to like MediaNet that Cisco had years and years and years ago, it's finally you know something that we can actually use now. I think MediaNet was so under the covers that you always had to get like a third party in there to do like synthetic testing. And there was always some third party dashboard to really make it real or else it was all CLI commands and everything. 
I think Thals and I is finally, you know, with their dashboard and everything that we're able to do with that takes that whole meeting, that conversation from 10 years ago and just, you know, blows it up and expands it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, exciting stuff there. Um, there were, again, Cisco live, huge event, lots of announcement here. Some of the stuff that I don't even think that we really were able to dive deep enough into to really understand, to present, I'm sure over the course of the next couple of months, we'll be bringing in episodes to dive deeper into different pieces here. I do want to talk about the Meraki cloud on-ramp piece. So this was really cool. So, uh, Todd Nightingale was on one of the first couple, he was one of the first couple sessions on day one and you know, I made a comment about this in, in the Discord channel that, let me tell you, I've met Todd Nightingale in person. He is that just, I don't even know how to describe it. Ball of energy. He is, oh, my God. But it's, it's <laughs> genuine. That That's how he is. He is so passionate about what he's doing, what Cisco is doing, what Meraki has been doing. And, you know, it's everything that you saw. If you got a chance to see the, the event live or you get a chance in the future, that is 100% real passion, man. That is not, there's no BS there. There's not an act. That is him. Um, and he's really excited about this stuff. One of the things that I absolutely love about what Meraki has done and how it's really been integrating into the portfolio is it's really pushed, I think, Cisco to be more API uh, aware, more API open, right? And, and, and API first, because a lot of the products that we're talking about now that are coming out, you know, especially new things. It's all about API. It's all about integration. And Meraki was definitely there at the forefront to be able to really usher us into that age. Um, and something like Umbrella, SIG, uh, Secure Internet Gateway, all that stuff, right? The cloud on-ramp piece, the integration with Meraki and Umbrella is just seamless. And it was like that originally when we did the, um, it was the DNS security policies that you could tie to a different access uh, access point or an SSID. I've actually got it set up in my my home here with the Meraki APs that I'm using here where I have an umbrella policy that's created for my kids so that my kids don't go to certain sites. That policy, that umbrella policy is tied to a Meraki group policy that is tied to those individual devices. So if those devices go on to a different SSID, let's say they figure out the password to my IoT network and they're trying to get, get around stuff, it doesn't matter because that ID is is bound by the MAC address and it knows, hey, this is this kid's device and that is a tied to this policy, which is tied to this umbrella policy. And therefore, wherever they go in my network, they can't get around it. Um, that, was, that was a first step. That's been out there for a while. But now they're doing the same thing with the integration with SIG where you can literally take a Meraki network and on-ramp it into your umbrella SIG environment and just poof, everything's there. The tunnels are created for you. Everything's up and running and you're, you're ready to go. Just simple, simple, simple. I don't know, Tom or Sal, if you had anything to add, I know, I know Pat's just going to say, yeah, Meraki. <laughs> yeah, okay. the, the only thing I'll add on the, uh, the API front is just, you know, Meraki being Meraki, they, they just made things so easy. Right. Like I remember talking about, you know, programming Cisco switches and APIs and Cisco switches. There's always one of those things that's like, okay, what do I need to do this? I got to learn. Do I have to learn Python? Is there other ways of doing stuff? And it was always sort of complicated with Meraki. If you want to start doing things with their API, you go right on the dashboard, you grab the API key, you download a program like Postman, or you could even use um, 
Meraki's, if you go to their developer webpage, they've even got a page that you can just like put your API key in and, and start doing get commands right from a web page. It's just like, you know, it's kind of night and day the way, the way you look at it with Meraki and the way you have, you used to have to look at it with anything else. Yeah. I mean, just, just the size of the books that teach you how to use these products should, should, yep. <laughs> should have something to say about it. Right. It's kind of like, you know, uh, getting Meraki is kind of like getting an Apple device. There's, there's no manual. It's easy. <laughs> it just, it just, it just works, works and it's easy. Yeah. yeah. No, and One there's, thing and there's I would a lot say of about cases. Go ahead, more and more and more APIs coming out. And then also, you know, the DevNet certifications coming out and DevOps becoming more and more present. Um, it's something that I think we all know, but it doesn't hurt to say again, is that uh, the more programming background that you have and the more understanding of how to work with APIs, what is an API, mm-hmm. how to query them and how to parse the data. Uh, you know, it's never going to hurt to get started if you haven't already. Yep. Yeah, and for for more information, I highly encourage everyone who hasn't listened already to check out the episode that we did with Susie Wee talking about DevNet and the importance of automation, orchestration. I mean, I can I can understand a lot of a lot of people that have been in IT, right? They've been doing CLI for a while, right? Just the name of this podcast, right? Conf T. Eventually, that is going to go into obscurity, right? So I didn't really think ahead when I named the when I named the show whatever we'll, we'll hold on to it for uh, for old time's sake but programmability orchestration uh you know coding all that stuff most people that get into networking i know myself included i got into networking because i didn't want to do the programming right i didn't really like the coding like i could take someone else's code and you know kind of poke around through it and uh i think the the <laughs> those who can't create innovate right like <laughs> That, that was pretty much all I did. I was I would hack away at it and, and make it work. But when it came to like starting something from scratch, uh, but again, there's a lot of pieces in here that it's just a matter of, of drag and drop, especially with things like um, like SecureX, right? With the, the orchestration piece, it's not, there's little to no code there, but understanding how these pieces work, understanding how they flow. Cisco has made a big investment and a big push for people to get their dev net and I know it's something that I said I was going to do, and I've got my Python book around here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, man. I'll add one thing to that, you know, and some of my customers, uh, you know, have said, you know, oh, we're, we're a three-person IT shop. We don't, we don't need to worry about that. That was the case maybe five, ten years ago, right, when yeah. you had these massive IT departments supporting you know, tens of thousands of servers, switches, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, they, they've been programming for years or, or you know, did with what they could, what was available at the time. But I mean, now you, you, you kind of have to get into that space, no matter how small or large your IT department is. I mean, that's just kind of where the industry is going. And the, the beauty of it is though, there's no shortage of resources to help you get there. Like our DevNet portals alone, you know, as, as Sal and Brian mentioned, I mean, they're, they're great for just, you know, learning and, and, you know, starting out from scratch. I mean, you don't really have to have much of a background in it to pick it up. Yes. It's, it's not the most fun thing to learn sometimes, but, uh, you know, once you get it, I, cause I had the same problem you did, Brian, I, you know, in college, I started out comp sci, I, I hated it. I loved it, loved networking, <laughs> yeah. but I had the same problem you did. I couldn't take something that didn't exist and create something out of that. Right. I was always right. able to hack things together. And, uh, you know, in my later years here, <laughs> um, I, you know, I've dove back into Python and I'm like, you know what, actually this, 
these things are starting to make sense. So I definitely encourage anyone, small, large IT department to, uh, to take a look at it. So two, three, maybe four things about that. First off for me, um, when I would get frustrated and it would suck, I'd take a break. And sometimes a break would be like one, two, three, four, maybe more months. Right. Um, but then, but then when I would come like back, like minutes, when hours, I would, when I would come back, no, no, no. Cause I would get too busy, you know, yeah. because learning it is not easy. If no. you're, if your brain isn't that wired that way, which mine isn't, it's not very easy to learn. But when you take those breaks and you come back, Usually what fueled me to do it was frustration. I didn't like the way things were. I didn't like all the work I had to put into something. So the level of frustration I had would fuel me towards learning more with programming. And mostly it was like copying stuff out of Stack Overflow and then making it do what I needed it to do. Right. But when you would take those breaks and come back, you would ramp up faster because you already had some exposure to it. And that feeling of getting some sort of uh, quick return on your time would would make you kind of like be like okay this isn't so bad but then it would suck again and i would take you know i'd take a break and come back and now i feel uh more more um more into it but but the things that i would say about it are that one the official cert guide by jason gooley and another cisco employee i can't remember who was was is awesome it's great i wish i I wish that the official cert guide for the devnet associate was out when i first started learning it's awesome the CBT Nuggets course for the DevNet Associate is also awesome. And then going back to talking about the, uh, you know, the small IT shop versus the large IT shop and, and whether or not you need to be doing programming, the more and more and more stuff that's coming out is, is making it more like uh, if you have programming experience, you can get more out of the product, mm-hmm. right? And then right. furthermore, back in 2013, Right. This is a long time ago in terms of talking about programming and DevNet and DevOps and all that. Right. Because it's really just blown up in the last two or so years. But going back in 2013, I was taking a course with Global Knowledge and I met a guy who worked at JPMC. And while we were there, it was a collaboration course. While we were there, I got to talking to him about how he likes working at JPMC and what are some of the things that they look for in candidates. And he asked me if I had any programming background. Like even the ability to just do like hello world, mm-hmm. which I didn't because I had no programming background at all. He said they wouldn't even look at you for hiring. And this was 2013. Wow. So, you know, if if your current IT shop doesn't do it, that's awesome. If you're happy where you are and you think that it's going to last till retirement. But if not, and you want to be able to pivot at some point in your career on your own on your own choice or because your employer made the choice, um, you're going to want that programming background to be able to, even if you just know how to do like run one script that does something really small, at least you have that to talk to. But now I'm getting off, now I'm getting off path with it. So I'll, I'll add one thing. That was my Probably the only thing that I can add to this conversation is that uh, even, even Cisco for the CSAP program, and that's a program that I went through back in 2007, which they take people from college, students usually a year or two removed from college, and they throw you down in North Carolina for a year, hardcore training and everything, and you basically become a systems engineer. I do recruiting. I go to a couple of colleges, talk to students about it, and one of the prereqs to even getting into the SE program now is you need to have a programming background. And you know, back in 2007, it wasn't even a prereq whatsoever. Um, and I think they started implementing that like three or four years ago at this point. And I found really good 
uh, people that I thought would be really great SEs out in the field, and they wouldn't even look at them because they didn't have programming experience on the resume. Wow. The future is programmability. Yep. And, you know, besides just being able to have at least some background in it to be able to get a job or to expand in your career, right? Get a promotion, get into a job that you want. Um, the other piece, too, to go back to Tom, your original point, the small IT shops that only have two or three guys or gals, the the need for automa automation and orchestration is, is greater there. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, you guys, you guys all know, I came from a K-12 background. I, everything that had a circuit board, I touched, I managed phones, Active Directory, Windows servers, firewalls, web content filtering for 3000 users, right? It's a lot. It's a lot of hats to wear. And you know what? Something's going to break. Something's going to happen. And, you know, by, by virtue of my own fire, firewall logs here at my house, the stuff that keeps getting, you know, blocked because it's just getting uh, script kitties that are running it and port scanning stuff and just trying to, you know, break into my to my firewall here. It's constant. Mm -hmm. You need to have automation, especially in security, to be able to take action when something happens, right? When 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 this happens plus this happens, okay, this this is cause for something bigger. We talked about it a bit uh, last episode with Keith Manville on the uh, Cisco secure endpoint, being able to take action, run scripts, integrate with SecureX, that's all programmability. Uh, this is going to be a recurring theme in our, in our episodes. So, uh, you know, I think it's something that we all need to take seriously, myself included. Uh, and actually, Pat, I'm, I'm really glad to, that we had you on this episode, especially for that piece, right? You're, you're more than just a hype man now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank He's you, contributing. Yeah. Hey, if you want to talk about the DevNet Associate, I, I went and got it. So we can talk about it sometime, maybe another episode. But how did we get to here? We were talking about APIs and stuff, right? We were talking about Meraki. Yeah, how did um, we get here? I know Cloud we, on we already talked about. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I think we covered Cloud on Ramp now. Um, so, yeah, I think the next thing we want to talk, talk about is the uh, passwordless authentication. Now, I think we're going to definitely have an episode where we dive into this a bit more. But I think what this is, if I'm understanding it correctly, is really just an expansion of what Duo is doing today, right, um, with multi-factor. The idea being, uh, uh, Pat, Tom, you said it best before. It was, uh, you said it best, the something something you know, something you have, and that now it's uh, now it's what? Yeah, so traditional MFA was something you have and something you know, like a password. The mm -hmm. password list is still something you have, but something you are. So, uh, you know, we, we look most to biometrics for that. So mm -hmm. uh, whether it's uh, facial recognition, uh, fingerprint on a phone, something like that. Yep. Right. So because right now, like when I when I log into my phone, right, to just turn it on and, and get into it and use my apps, I don't have to type in a password. I use my fingerprint. If you trust and use the uh, uh, the facial recognition stuff on some of the phones, you can do that. Um, but the idea with just regular enterprise applications, right? And we use a ton of them here, a lot of SaaS applications and and other cloud-based applications. Everything's over the web, right? Everything is through our single sign-on and there's a multi-factor piece. We, we put in our credentials. We then get kicked over to our duo single sign-on, whatever the rules are in place, maybe we'll automatically be allowed in because we've authenticated in the last 12 hours and we're in a place that allows us to do that. 
And these are all rules that can be set. Please refer back to the duo episode for that. Um, but the idea here now is that instead of having to put in a password every time, moving over to something like device certificate plus, you know, YubiKey or device certificate plus uh, password push or fingerprint plus, uh, you know, the, the duo multi-factor push, stuff like that. Um, just being able to expand upon that a little bit more and not have to rely on passwords because let's face it, passwords suck. <laughs> yeah. So it seems to me like you've been mostly talking about it from an end user's perspective, right? Which is good because every time that I have to renew my password, that annoys me. Right. And it's, it's difficult to manage and you might have multiple different passwords, but right. let's talk about the cost to the business. Bit passwords can be compromised. That can cost you billions of dollars right there. Your users have to manage the passwords. That's costing them time, which is costing you money. And then how many tickets probably go to the help desk each year uh, for password reset or password problems in general? And yep. then that's costing money of the end user and the IT support staff. You know, So for the business, there's definitely value here. Yeah, there's a, there's that email we get every every time we have to renew our password that from yeah. Cisco IT that basically says every password that has to be reset costs the company X dollars. And it's not a lot. Yep. Yeah, but based right. on the number of users they have plus the number of times mm-hmm. to make your reset password and the percentage of people that screw it up, it costs the company X millions of dollars and it's like, "Whoa." That's yeah. why they're, you know, they're sending emails out <laughs> 2 months before you're ready to 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 change your password like, "Hey, it's going to expire. Figure out a new one." change it, do it right. Yeah. So I I see this as win-win, right? Because it's win-win for us as end users. It's win-win for the company. It's win-win for the security teams and the IT teams that would be resetting the passwords. Yep. Uh, I'm interested to see how it will be implemented and what we'll have that we, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's something like you said. You can do another session on it, and uh, yeah, I think see. I think it, it was really just kind of teased to us a little bit. I think it's actually going to be um, pushed out in the next couple months, I believe. It's I beta yeah, I believe over the that, summer. Uh, public preview in the summer, and then generally available by the end of the year, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It, again, it'll be really interesting to see how it, how it works in practice, both from a user and administration standpoint. And and to your point, Pat, like it it it. It's when I say password sucks, I meant both both sides of the coin, yeah, right? Yeah, it's from yeah. a from a user standpoint, managing it, changing it, remembering it, uh, but then also from the administration side, getting them compromised. I mean, nowadays credential stuffing attacks they're 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 highly successful. There's so many different um, breaches that that occur where passwords are are dumped and sold on the the dark web, or eventually they just go, um, they go freebie. Wasn't there like the 500 million user Facebook uh, password dump that just uh, went public now that they just dumped it out for free. So my, um, my cousin from my, my wife's side of the family, uh, her personal outlook account got hacked and she's an older woman. She's trying to, you know, she's like, I don't know what's going on. I, I can't figure out what's going on. I sent, she sent, ended up sending an email to everyone asking for, uh, how to, buy an iTunes gift card or something for her, for her niece. Everyone knew it was, was a bogus email, but what killed me was I, I started investigating it and I'm like, no, these people logged into your account. And not only did they send the email to everyone on her contact list asking for this, they created a rule in her outlook to forward, forward, take anything that came back in, archive it and forward it over to another email address that looked very, That's very smart. similar. Wow. It was very, I'm telling you, man, it was really smart. And I was scared because because of the way, and I'm not trying to bash anyone here, but 
because of those security methods that were set up on her account, which were none, we had to change her phone number because it wouldn't allow us to do a call okay. number to verify. It only do text. And for some reason, she had put her home phone as the only number. So we couldn't do that. So we were finally okay, able to SMS log in. SMS on the landline? Yeah. We can't, you can't text the landline. So, <laughs> so we had to change it but, it. but Microsoft made us wait 30 days to do anything else to verify that that change was okay. So anyone else could have hopped in and canceled it, including the other people. So when I saw that rule, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be very careful here. I'm going to turn it off. They're going to notice that there's not email coming in anymore, but they, we can't change the password so they can hop back in and turn it right back on. Or that's why I didn't delete it. I just turned it off. But like, this is a stuff that happens all the time and, you know, trying to get her to turn on some sort of multi-factor. I wanted to, I was working on that, but she's got a flip phone, right? (laughs) She's got, She's got a, a, a an eight-year-old HP laptop that I've replaced the keyboard on twice already and, and the battery like two or three times also. You know, she just, just wants to log in, get her email, and, and you know, play solitaire, and that's it, you know? <laughs> yeah, minesweeper. Yeah, so it's 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 tough, but um, these are these are the risks out there. Um, well, it sounds like she could benefit from uh, this new offering that's coming out, man, this password list. Yeah, just got to get her a smartphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, uh, Sal, anything you want to add? No, I'm good on that that front. <laughs> just making sure you're paying attention. I'm here. He's reading the manual on a smart fan right that's now. That's it. That's it. Got to go install that. Make sure I got all. The you know, parts. all I did was just hook a Wemo smart switch to it. I didn't even buy because I I saw that too, and I'm like, you know what? I have the remote. I can turn the speed up and down and change the direction. But I just want to, you know, tell. Google I mean, I got to tell you though, too. Like all this smart home stuff. Like I've been putting more and more into my house. It's, sometimes it's just easier to go to the dang light switch and, and flip it on. Like I really want to like stand <laughs> on the other side of the room and scream halfway across the room to where the Alexa is to turn something on. <laughs> get the Alexas that go in the light switch. I've got one of those too. Yeah. And put... <laughs> I, I, I try a little bit of this out, a little bit of that out. Some stuff I think is really cool. Other stuff I'm like, eh, this is kind of more gimmicky than what it's worth. And you can find out more on Cisco's YouTube page at Cisco. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, there were also some announcements around SASE. Not so much anything really, um, you know, new in terms of kind of re- revolutionary in terms of the product set. Right? I think SASE has been something that that Cisco is is very well placed to be able to deliver on, um, just because of the breadth of the portfolio that we had when Gartner kind of came up with that term and, and what it what was in it. We were like, yeah, we got that. Okay, cool. We'll we'll put it into this little, yeah, we call that SASE. Um, but there is new SASE offerings coming out as well as, um, in the future, some, uh, a single consumption kind of service, right. Where you can just pick and choose how to go. I think a lot of the announcements around subscriptions and, and, you know, hardware and software really were centered around making it easier to consume, easier to buy, easier to, um, to kind of predict their expenses, right? And I think that's going to be the future of, of Cisco kind of going forward, both on the software and subscription side, which we've been seeing already for the past couple of years in terms of enterprise agreements and stuff, but moving forward and being a little bit more flexible, right? Right now, a lot of the enterprise agreements, you can have multi-architectural, but it's really like uh, a, a DNA 
EA plus a security EA or plus a, a collab EA, right? There weren't anything like I could just take these products from all these different architectures and put them into one agreement and call it a day. I think we're going to probably see that come down the road. Um, yeah, no promises here. This is kind of off off the cuff here, but that's the direction that we're we're seeing Cisco going. And I'd, I'll leave it up to the rest of the panel here to chime in on on that. Tell me I'm wrong or agree, whichever. No, so uh, you know the the what you're alluding to was was what they call Cisco Plus, uh, which is going to be our our new uh, consumption based model. Um, you know, I mean the industry's going this way, really driven obviously by cloud, uh, and customers really yeah. seem to like this because they can much better predict, uh, you know, how they can grow, you know, what their, uh, you know, kind of predict what their costs are going to be uh, much easier, and, and especially if you have a, you know, if you have a, a seasonal. Uh, spike in traffic or compute needs, you know, that's, that's uh, like one of the models that we can have. We have, we're going to offer, I believe pay as you grow and uh, what was it? Pay as, what was the terms we used? Paper use pay as you grow. So, you know, paper use right. is allows you to scale up and down. So if, you know, you have seasonal spikes, you know, you can obviously throw more money at it and get, uh, get more use out of your, your equipment versus just a pay as you grow model where just over time, you're just continuing to, you know, increase your spend. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of what we were talking about before with, you know, with the DevNet stuff, cloud has really, is really what's driving a lot of the modern, uh, you know, a lot of where this industry goes and, uh, and APIs really skyrocketed when, when cloud became a thing. Um, you know, because it just was, was serverless computing, being able to scale up, you know, with, with just simple running of a script, um, you know, that's, that's something that was a little harder to do with traditional infrastructure, but, you know, when you have that hybrid model, um, you know, you're, you're really, you're really set quite well, especially if you, you know how to automate. So bringing it right well, back and, around, and, and this has been, <laughs> no, this, and this has been the allure of, of all those kind of cloud services, right? Like this is, this is why AWS took off and why so many companies that have used AWS or Azure or, or Google Cloud Compute or the, whatever it's called, GCP. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that those companies have been able to be so successful is they didn't have to worry about investing in the infrastructure. They could just kind of start small and scale up just by kind of throwing more money at the problem. Yep. Right. It's it's a bit more difficult when you have to deal with all of that equipment on site. Now, there's definitely pros and cons with having things on site uh, versus SaaS applications versus infrastructure as a service, right? right? You know, there's 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 key pieces here that you need to look at to determine what applications, what business applications, what services you should be running in those different facets, right? If it's something that you can subscribe to, like I'm thinking something like Epic or, you know, whatever for healthcare, you know, and everything's there and they worry about the infrastructure, you just give them a certain amount of money every month and use that service go with that if you need a little bit more uh, agility and control and you but you want it in a someone else's data center infrastructure as a service all the way um but the the industry has been going that direction and that's what makes companies like AWS Azure Google Cloud that much more appealing mm-hmm. so Cisco's looking at it and saying okay we're going to we're going to go that direction too so Really early stages here, a lot of stuff that's going to be, you know, kind of shaking out. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing more announcements and, and seeing how it turns up uh, as we go. But really kind of a, another sign that Cisco is really going where IT is going 
right? Yeah. So initial offerings will be mostly in the data center, uh, mm-hmm. mostly around data center. Uh, there will also be a SaaS offering, um, a SASE offering, I should say. Uh, those will be coming probably sometime, uh, you know, later in the summer. Um, but I think the end goal is to have, you know, all of our, all of our portfolio, uh, you know, be offered as this type of service, uh, you know, in the future. So nice, exciting stuff for sure. So we're coming up on the the end of our time here. I want to give you all a chance to kind of say a closing thought. Uh, Pat, I'm going to start with you, our hype man. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, one closing thought is that collaboration is always on the back end. All the other technologies seem to kind of drown it out. And so I'm going to toss in some WebEx contact center stuff here. Okay. Um, With the new WebEx contact center 2.0, which is right now available in the Americas, there are other PSTN options that we have here. So there's five different ones that we can do. And there is a gentleman, if you give me just a moment, he did a great session on it. Um, Hussein Ali, he's a technical marketing engineer, uh, distinguished speaker at Cisco Live. And he did a session, which is BRK CCT 2013, right? And so if, if you wanted to see anything that was new in terms of collab and, um, it was in Cisco Live 2021. Go check out his breakout session uh, because it, I think it does a pretty good job showing how the PSTN hooks into the WebEx contact center and he even does a brief overview of the WebEx calling as well. Nice. We'll be sure to include a link for that in the show notes. Yeah, and send that over. also a link to your uh, YouTube channel as well. Really appreciate everything you do. And I know that the, uh, the people that subscribe to your channel do as well. So Yeah, thanks, man. Also, I sent for the Meet the Author live event Later on this week, mm-hmm. I put that. I sent that. I think directly to you. Okay, uh, a, a direct link for that. Be sure to put that on the show. And again, notes thanks as well. for thanks for having me on again. No, I appreciate it. Sal, any uh, closing thoughts there? Just uh, just a couple things on collaboration. So there was an announcement too with some updated pricing around a lot of the Cisco video endpoints. So the WebEx Desk yes. camera, which I've got right here, if you're looking at the video on uh, the Compete with your SC YouTube channel, you can see it here. Um, it, you know, this thing's actually really good. I'm going to end up doing a video review on it versus the Logitech Brio. Um, but there was a, call it a price drop, but if you have a Cisco enterprise agreement for a collaboration or an active user contract for WebEx, you can actually get these for like 150 bucks. That's going to be, yeah, that's going to be street that's price. Cool. So that's, that's huge. That's actually less than a Logitech Brio. Um, and from a spec feature comparison, this thing's actually better than a Logitech Brio. So so that's going to be huge. Um, we came out with a desk, a WebEx desk hub. I don't, I haven't had a chance to look at that yet. That was announced a little while ago. But the and the cool thing about that is it's basically like a Touch Ten and a codec, a video codec, kind of built into one. And you can walk in with your cell phone, drop your cell phone on it, and it's going to recognize that hey, this is Sal. Now this is going to become Sal's endpoint. And it's going to be his telephone, it's going to be his video endpoint, and everything we recognize that, that it's sale that's, that's there. Um, street price on that one came down to $589. Again, you need the enterprise agreement. The big two that I'm excited about is the WebEx Desk Pro and the WebEx Desk. So the Desk Pro, if you guys remember when we came out with that, I think the list price was like eleven dollars or $12,000. We got the street price down of that thing to $2,500. Yeah. That's a 4K screen desktop That's charging huge. for your Mac or your PC through USB-C. 
uh, subwoofer inside of it, high quality speakers, beam forming microphones at the top, you know, 1080p camera with with the motion detection and moves around and kind of follows you and everything. I mean, that, that that's a legit high end endpoint for $2,500. Um, and then there's a little brother of that that's coming out the WebEx desk that the list price of that, or sorry, the uh, street price of that is going to be around twenty twelve hundred dollars 1249 is what they advertised it for. Um, a little bit smaller of a display and it's going to have a, a scaled down resolution. I think it's going to be 1080p. So that's slated to come out, I think, in August, September timeframe. So I think we still have a couple months on that guy, uh, but the WebEx Desk Pro is out today. Nice. And I think those products are announced at the uh, the WebEx One event that we, were. we did the cover on. Uh, but this, as far as this, the street price is getting bumped down drastically for customers that have a, a Flex EA, is, that's huge, yep. right? Because, you know, the Desk Pro, I've got one. I love it. It's great. I'd have a hard time justifying that much of a cost, but twenty five hundred that's that's definitely something a lot easier to to swallow for sure. So thank you, Sal. And again, we'll be sure to include an, uh, a link to your YouTube channel as well, where we can uh, eagerly await the installation of your smart fan. <laughs> Looking forward I'm gonna to that. do that video now just because of you, Brian. You know that, right? I hope so. You better. I mean, I've promised all my listeners that you're gonna do it. So Sal, I knew it was you gotta okay. do it. <laughs> don't blame Brian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't, yeah, don't, don't, I'll make sure to call you out. Already. Brian told me he's, to do this video. <laughs> he saw that on Amazon and was like, oh, this is going to make me money on Cisco. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because everybody wants to know about some random smart fan. <laughs> Oh God! You, you bought the smart fan just to do the video. You can, didn't even want yeah. it. Can you at least put a Cisco sticker on the fan sure. so that it's you know it's related to Cisco? Yeah, You're just something. <laughs> it's actually a really cool fan. Here's it's, our Cisco. It only smart has fan. three blades on it, so I got to see how well it moves the air around. Oh my God! <laughs> oh my God! All right, before we get any more off track, Tom, I'll uh, I'll give you the opportunity to give any closing closing uh, thoughts here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I just just to say to all the listeners, you know, Cisco Live is always a great opportunity to learn more about yeah. not only just what's coming with Cisco, but just about Cisco products in general. So there will be uh, after the three month mark, there will be a whole host of sessions that will be available to the general public. You don't need to pay for them um, that are great. A lot of them are like, you know, again, just an example. I don't know if this is one specific for the three month mark, but an example would be like, you know, best practices for firewall deployment or best practices for ice, stuff like that. We usually recommend a lot of times when customers, uh, you know, are just looking for more info on a product. We always point them to the Cisco live website because all the previous Cisco live, uh, sessions we've had over the last few years are available on there. And it's a great resource. Some, we have some really great speakers who, who talk to a lot of our products. Um, that's all I got on Cisco Live, but just uh, as another show plug, so we are going to be expanding, uh, Sal kind of alluded to it before, we are going to be expanding to YouTube, so we will be uh, adding uh, to our YouTube channel uh, all of our future episodes, as well as we're going to try to be more active on stuff like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, so we'll you know kind of post the links to all of those not not only be posting about episode updates, but even just you know, Cisco or general technology updates in general, so follow us there, follow us on Discord, and that's yeah, all I got, yeah. Brian. Join join the Discord server for sure. It's a great group of people there. I mean, I I cannot stress it enough. Uh, Tom and I were were talking with with them during the Cisco Live event, and just exciting to see how excited they were about Cisco Live, and it was just really cool. But uh, yeah, we'll, as uh, Tom said, we'll be expanding to to YouTube, and uh, I have a smart. I actually, you know what? I have got a couple smart switches here. 
Maybe I'll uh, I'll go ahead and install those. There you go. Don't get electrocuted. We must switch. So, (laughs) hey, uh, see, I'm a licensed electrician. I don't think you are. So I'm going to be checking your work sound. I'm I'm Italian. We don't need certifications or nothing like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not even going to touch that with a ten foot pole. With that, we're going to sign off. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining the panel today, and thank you for listening to Conf T with URSE. Be sure to subscribe, like, and all that social media stuff. And don't forget to save that config.